Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Happened This Week podcast. This week's guest is football CFB's Callum McFadden and we'll be discussing all things Scottish Premiership, Alfredo Morelos leaving Rangers, Will Edward leave Celtic, the Newcastle United takeover and the departure of Eddie Howe from Bournemouth and what that means for the South Coast Club. to the What the Fork Happened This Week podcast. Today's guest is the god of podcasts currently, Henrik Larsson's best mate apparently, and the second most famous McFadden in Scotland. Uh, it's football CBA, CFB even, Colin McFadden. How are you, how's it going mate, you all right? Yeah, not bad at all, I have to say. I'm, I'm delighted to be on the show. Um, over lockdown, I really enjoyed listening to, to the shows you were doing. I particularly enjoyed listening to, to Lauren Shankland. I think he's a, a fascinating guy in Scottish football and so many more great guests you've had as well. So keep up the great work. And, and Big Sam, I have to say, that was tremendous, by the way. That was absolutely tremendous. I have to tell the story about that a little bit, actually, since we're, because um, we both kind of met during lockdown in a way, doing the same, some similar sort of thing. Um, I think I started in March, you started January. It's quite funny when Big Sam came up. I haven't really spoke about it like on air, but like as a Sunderland fan and obviously as an England fan and it's Big Sam's Big Sam. And you'll know the feeling of this that you get when you get like a big interview, you kind of go, oh, what if he doesn't come on? And just seeing his little head pop up on the Zoom screen was just like, that's oh, Big Sam, that. And it was great, but he was such a lovely fella, such a really great guy. But you touched on sort of Shanklin before. And one of the, the main topics, because we've got a few things to get to today, is going to be Scottish football. So where, where else better to start with... Uh, I always say the SPL, which is not the case of Scottish Premiership, but the Scottish Premiership this week, what have you made of Rangers and Celtic starts? In terms of Rangers, I think they, they, they got the job done. I'll be honest and say that I don't think Aberdeen really troubled them in any great depth. I, I thought that Balogun at the back looked really good for Rangers, whether that's because he's been playing recently and the others haven't, I don't know, but he definitely looks comfortable on the ball. A lot of Rangers fans have been likening him to, to Majid Bagheera already. And, and if he's as good as Majid Bagheera was at Rangers, then, then they've got a player in their hands because he was, he was sensational in Scotland. I think the way I look at it with Rangers is Aberdeen's a tough place to go. Mm-hmm. And they got, as I said, they got, they got the job done. They aren't going to be firing their all cylinders and sharp yet because this pre-season has been quite strange. I know people have said, oh, but Celtic Rangers and others have played games, but they've played against each other. So... You know what it's like in those games. I don't imagine they wanted to give too much away. So I think you'll see more of Rangers, um, especially when they get their home game started, because people will make the obvious contrast with Rangers winning 1-0 and Celtic winning 5-1. But Celtic were at home. It was the flag day. Um, Hamilton Ackies are a team who have left some of their business quite late so far in the season. They signed off in the right back only, I think, the day before the game. Um so really, they're, they're in a situation where they're still getting their squad pieced together and it's a young squad. So people will make inevitable comparisons with Rangers and Celtic in week one. But I think the most important factor is they both won. And I wouldn't make too much of Rangers only winning by one goal. And at this stage, I wouldn't make too much of Celtic winning by five goals. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at Hamilton, and it's absolutely no offence to Hamilton, but I think their games this season are going to be most important for them. It's not going to be Celtic away. That's not where they're going to be necessarily looking to get guaranteed points whereas uh, you know Celtic it's a nice not an easy game but it's a good game to start and where 
Aberdeen away is probably a tougher game for any side in that league because they're, they're, I know they've been fourth last season, but they're no, they're no jokers. You don't just turn up to Aberdeen and win. But ultimately, I think where Rangers probably fell short last year, certainly in the second half of the season, was going to places maybe like Aberdeen or going to places like Hibs and getting turned over by the odd goal. So a 1-0 win, a clean sheet with a, a relatively new-look defence with, like you say, Balogun in there. I found it quite interesting that um, he started with Balogun ahead of Edmondson because obviously Edmondson was... He was on fire before the, the lockdown and stuff. I thought he would have continued with the fridge, as he's known. What did you make of that? that maybe that was quite telling. Um, you're, you're right. But I think, as I say, I think the fact Balligan had been playing games was probably the main thing because uh, he was the sharpest player in the park. He looked very comfortable on the ball. And in a sense, it's probably going to be very good for him that he was playing games up until recently because it's going to, hopefully for him, and Rangers keep him having a, a positive momentum because Rangers' centre-back area is one that I've never really been convinced of. I think Connor Goldson, for me, is a good player on the ball, but at times I just feel there's a, a bit of a lack of concentration with him. Um, not to say that he's a bad player by any means. I'm not saying that at all. I just I just think at times he can switch off. Katic's injury was very unfortunate. He he impressed me at times last season. He scored the winner at Celtic Park after all, yeah. just just after Christmas, and he was very impressive that day. Took his goal very well. So I think it's unfortunate that he's injured, but Balogun, Gerard, I think will be hoping adds more a more assured presence at the back because as I say with Goldson, good but can switch off at times and, and even with Katic I suppose he was one that maybe would have four good games and one quite poor game and, and I think Stephen needs far more consistency from his defence this year if Rangers are to get closer I know we'll come to predictions soon I do think Rangers will get closer this season um, I don't think they will win the league but I definitely think they will get closer because there's going to be no one to break this year because of the schedule and That'll play into Rangers' hands. I spoke to a few guys from a Rangers podcast last week and, and they were saying the fact that for some reason we've won the big Celtic Rangers derby match just after Christmas. Then we go into the winter break and we come back quite flat. So I think possibly having no winter break will help Rangers keep that momentum because it seems that in the last two years anyway, at the moment they hit their peak, the season gets stopped because of the winter break. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, mate. I think... Um... It seems to be like up to December they've been superb and you really think, right, this is this is it. And then the first game or the second game back, they just they fall flat in their asses. Um but what do you make of the Morella situation? Because that seems to be is it dragging on or is it is it dead in the water? What's the situation? I th- I think it was, there's definitely something in it. I mean, Stephen Gerrard spoke after the game to Sky and I felt sorry for Luke Shanley. He basically said, What do you make of Morelos? Had a great game and Gerard was off and and to be fair for Gerard, he's probably sick of answering that question week in, week yeah. out. I don't think Celtic or Rangers are helped, to be honest with you, but the fact the window's open to October. I think Neil Lennon's hinted at that way, Odds and Edward as well. It's not a good position to be in where your, your prized assets might have a great start to the season. A team in England or France, Germany, Italy, wherever it may be, panics and, and is willing to spend a few quid that they maybe weren't willing to do a few weeks ago. So I think that one's got a long time to run. I do feel sorry for Rangers and Gerrard because Morelos, if you get the Morelos for the first half of last season, he's an asset to any club and he'd be an asset to clubs in the Premier League, I think, as well. Yeah, me too. But second half of the season, you started to see a bit of frustration from him. A lot of people have criticised him for looking a bit heavy, etc., coming back. 
I think as Chris Boyd alluded to on Sky as well, some players take a few games to get into their stride and people forget about the game at the weekend. He was the most fouled player on the park, but he also made the most fouls of any other player. So he's clearly still involved. It's not as if he's anonymous and not getting involved in the game. He's still involved. He also got the assist for the goal, which people forget yeah. as well for Ryan Kent. So I think the crucial thing is, as you know, Graeme, if he stays at Rangers, he has to be committed because Gerard and Rangers in this season of all seasons, can't afford to have a player as good as him on his day not committed because if he has 10 off days, Rangers won't win the league. Whereas if he has a very, very good season, they feasibly could win the league. It's, it's that simple. Do you think the move for, because obviously he's been linked to the Premier League for a long, long time. And I, I totally agree with you. I think um, I'm the opposite way. I think his build and the, the way that he sort of plays is probably suited to the Premier League. So when it was linked that he was going to the, to Lille, I, I don't know, I found it, I don't watch a great amount of French football, so I can't make an expert opinion, but I was quite surprised that that would be the move for him because I thought, if anything, if he's going to leave Rangers, a club that size, and the same probably with um, with Edouard as well, it's going to be towards the, the Premier League. So were you quite surprised that no club in the Premier League has, has kind of taken a punt on him yet? Do you think that's got to do with temperament or do you think that's due to the way that some English fans, the way that some English clubs maybe view Scottish football? I definitely think it's probably down to the way some English clubs uh, view Scottish football because I mean, you look at Virgil van Dijk, um, Andy Robertson, etc. When Andy Robertson goes to Hull, van Dijk goes to Southampton now. All right, Robertson was young at the time, but van Dijk could have played for a top six or top eight club, I think, when he left Celtic. He was, he, he was good enough at the time. With Morelos, it'll be interesting because when you look at clubs in England, where would he go if it was, say, you were saying lower half of the Premier League? Crystal Palace potentially seems like an yeah. option. Um, they've been liked to Edward as well. But I think it needs to be the right club for him because we've seen in the past, I mean, Gary Hooper, for instance, was a superb player for Celtic, went to Norwich, and I'm sure if either of us get to speak to Gary soon, he'd probably admit that in hindsight, that move probably wasn't the best move because he was coming from a Celtic team, creating lots of chances to a Norwich team scrapping for their lives. And I think. Morelos, if he's going to the Premier League, has to be aware of that because he, he, we've seen his temperament. He can get frustrated. He's very passionate. And if a team, if he was playing, for instance, for a Norwich this season, right? I know he won't go there because they're relegated, but if he was playing for them this season, he may have boiled over a few times because, yeah. albeit they kept the ball quite well, but they didn't create a vast array of chances in, in, in every single match. And for a guy like him who is, who is a goal scorer, I think he needs to go to a team that's going to play in the front foot and give him service because if it comes to a scrap, although he'll, he'll put himself about, I don't think you, you you want to see him when he's when he's angry because as he's shown, he's he's he's, he's no stranger to, to a red card if he's if he's incensed. Talking about um, obviously Edward, we touched on before. Obviously, Morelos has been linked for quite a while, but I think I asked this question to. Um, to Declan Gallagher, I've asked this question to Peter Hartley when they've been on the show, I think off air or on air, I can't quite remember who they thought was the best. Um, and they both said Edward. They said, you know, he's just got everything. He's got height, he's got pace, he's got strength. And I still can't believe he's like 20, 21. Um, how likely do you think it is that if he keeps up the form that he's shown at the moment, or like he did yesterday in the back end of last season, well, all last season, that someone like, I don't know, a West Ham might come in from even higher up the pyramid because he's looking the real deal, isn't he? He is, and, and, and for me, I think he's the best Celtic striker since Henrik Larsson in that era, yeah. something Larsson Hartson. Martin and he said that yesterday as well. And the reason I think 
I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't think if I was Edward, I'd be going to a West Ham, etc. I I would try and do what Moussa Dembele or, or Morelos may do, and I would probably rather go to a Lille or a Leon than a West Ham because I think that's the sort of club that you go to, and you might not get the services I mentioned, and your stock can drop. But I I'll be honest with you, you won't be at Celtic long term. I think I do think the club will keep him this year. I think um, they they will potentially maybe double his wages or give him a substantial bonus if the club won the league. And I wouldn't be surprised if they put a release clause in that contract, maybe similar to the £25 million Kieran Tierney went for to say, yeah. look, wheel up your wages, we'll give you a bonus if we win the league. Stay with us this year, regardless of who comes in. Then next summer, we'll both move on. Hopefully, hopefully both parties happy. So I think that's the most likely scenario because if Celtic were to lose Edward now or between now and October, I mean... It wouldn't be a good message to send out to the fans. I don't think it'd be a good message to send out to to the squad as well. And, and, and crucially, Neil Lennon. I mean, Neil Lennon's no shrinking violet when it comes to, to giving his opinions. We saw that when he was in charge of Celtic the first time. If he's not been backed in the market, he feels he's been undermined. He, he won't be shy in, in telling the board and the media. And, and I don't think he would react well to Edward leaving. I think Edward will go to a top eight side in the Premier League. I think he's that good. Um Brendan Rodgers and Leicester maybe seems like one of the candidates maybe in a year's time if you think Vardy's not getting any younger. Yeah. One more season of Vardy being the main man. I think he's 33, 34 next year. And then maybe it could be time for a fresh striker. But it certainly will be interesting. And as I say, Celtic won't hold on to him long term. I definitely don't think so because of the finance, let's be honest, in Scottish football. And I think he will go. But it'll be interesting to see where ultimately in the next two or three years him and Morelos end up. And also Mr. Dembele, another one who was here in recent years. It'll be interesting to see where those three players end up because a lot of the time, as you know and you've alluded to earlier, Scottish football gets a bit of a kicking from people, not only down south, but even across Europe at times. Absolutely. And in recent years, there's, there's been a fair few players that have, have left Scottish football and on to bigger and better things. And, and I think that'll be the case in recent years. And Rangers get forgotten about and a lot of that people focus on Tierney and, and others. But I mean, just look at young Billy Gilmore. I know he was a, a young kid, but... If that's the sort of talent Rangers can produce through their academy as well, you wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years Rangers can sell a prized asset for a 15, 20 million pound fee. Yeah, and I certainly think the the I mean I've talked about the Scottish the Scottish national team, and I think it's the best that I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, I remember Scotland being in tournaments. I'm unfortunately old enough to sort of remember that, but I do think when you look across, especially the midfield, there's so much choice there that you can put in that are like you know top quality players. Like you've got your McGregor's, you've got McGinn. There's loads of players at that. So there's definitely quality within Scotland. John McGinn's another player that went obviously from Hibs to Villa. And I know he went originally championship, but they've stayed up and he's, he's looked fine all season um, when he's played. Talking about uh, Rangers and Celtic, though, I found what, what I found quite interesting is I looked at both of the squads and I thought, assume that both of them go. And I can't believe I'm saying this as a Sunderland fan and Defoe being probably Morales' replacement. I'm basing this more on age, but I think... Celtic are probably better placed where they maybe don't have to buy a replacement because of Griffiths, whereas I think Rangers would realistically have to bring someone in based on the fact that Defoe is now 37, I think, and as we've seen, likely to pick up injuries. But who do you think is better placed to, if they lost them both, to to kind of take that loss on board? I would agree with you on Celtic, but at the same time, I think they would have to go into the market because... Um, Lee Griffiths is a player I have a lot of admiration for. Um, he suffered from mental health issues, which is is, yeah. is is something that's a great shame for for anyone. Never mind a, a professional footballer, of course, as well. And and I, I just I just feel that 
he's got a manager in Neil Lennon that's been through mental health issues, so he's probably got the best manager to help him through that. But mm. crucially, Neil Lennon even now seems to be getting, and I'm not going to use the term fed up, because that's a terrible thing to say, but he seems to be getting a bit up, shall we say, of, of the fitness issues. He didn't come back fit. He did praise him last week, but then he wasn't in the squad at all for the opening game. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. I think Celtic would be best placed. I think Clamalla took his goal well yesterday. Whether he's good enough to step up, I don't know. I've not watched enough of him. Um, Celtic would be would be best placed. But for me, I think both of them would have to go into the market. It looks like Celtic are going to go big for Ivan Tony of, of Peterborough. I know Gavin Strachan was at Peterborough and, and has recommended them highly to the Celtic hierarchy. But Dara McAntony, I, I, I know Dara a wee bit, and, and he's no shrinking violet. There's no way Dara's selling him in the cheap. So I think that's one that we talked about sagas. If Celtic are keen on Tony, I think that could that could go all, all summer or into the autumn as, as the window will go because there's no chance ever that Dara McAntony's given in when it comes to Tony. If he doesn't get a decent fee, there's no chance he'll leave. And Dara's great. I mean, I've, I'm someone I've had on a, a previous podcast, and uh, you're right in what you're saying, but as someone who watched League One football all season until it unfortunately got cancelled and um, Wickham got promoted and, and whatnot, um, Ivan Tony looks in this market, which is weird because we're talking eight to ten million pounds for a League One striker, but in this market, his age, his size, his ability, I think eight to nine million pounds is actually not bad money for someone like that if he continues his progression and I know they got him for I think 500k from from Newcastle um, but I think he had a few years of like different managers he got brought in by McLaren um, he's got a team at Peterborough that plays on the front foot and he's got people beside him like Moiser um, and Marcus Madison previously before he went to Hull he's got plenty of ammunition there if he goes to a club like Celtic or Rangers I think he would thrive but Talking about replacements, one player that I was not surprised to see linked and another player I know really well, Josh Madger um, from Bordeaux, was linked towards towards Rangers. And I mean, I've seen Josh for six months in the first team and you could tell he was just made for a team bigger than that. And it really wouldn't surprise me if he went to somewhere like Rangers and got 20, 25 goals, no problem. But what did you make of the link of Josh Madger? Do you think that would be a, a like for like? Because he's, he's a bit different from my memory. He's a bit different, but I have to say I would agree with you in terms of Maja. I think he's a really good player, um, and I think he's the sort of player that, that would benefit Rangers and probably a player that would also benefit Celtic as well, to be honest with you. I think at Sunderland, he was definitely he was scoring goals, he looked fit and hungry, and then obviously we, we know the situation with his agent and Stuart Donald and all that sort of thing, but let's be honest with you, and you're the best person to ask this to, if Majesty at Sunderland would you have went up? I think you would have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think without a doubt. I think um, watching it back on Netflix in hindsight, it's the, the, the common saying, isn't it? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. You watch it back and you went, ah. And in, in a way, you'd have rather spent big on the wages for Maja rather than spending big on Will Grigg because that's just that's just not happened um, for whatever reason. Well, for numerous reasons, really. But yeah, I do. I think I think if Maggio would have stayed at Sunderland, there was something about Maggio at that level where he only needed two touches. He'd do nothing all game sometimes. And that would sometimes frustrate fans for some reason. And some people would say, oh, he's done nothing. But then he just dropped his shoulder, one touch in the back of the net. And the kid was like 20, 21. And it's like, I think you can see class in a striker. And I know it's different to the Premier League. And obviously, growing up, I've seen the likes of Kevin Phillips which in what would have been Division One, now the championship. And with Phillips, 
you could just see it from the minute that he scored his first or second goal. It was just that instinct. And Madger's got the same. I think Darren Bent, uh, Jermaine Defoe, Phillips, and then Madger are probably off the top of my head. The four strikers in my lifetime support in Sunderland where you just seen that they were just a striker. That was what they were born to do. Um, I think with Madger, because he was in the third division, you could just see that he was so far ahead of it. His brain just worked faster. Defenders couldn't keep up with him. And when he went, it's no real surprise that we kind of fell by the wayside and suddenly Aidan McGeady was the go-to man um, who played in a completely different position and will probably sort of suffered really badly without McGeady at the end of that season. But I think Madger, in a sense, was always destined to do something more. And you would have hoped it would have been getting us promoted on a decent wage, uh, decent, yeah, a relatively decent wage for League One or a championship, and then get into the championship, maybe do well, and then maybe he would have moved on at that point. But I think modern-day football, if you get into the last six months of a contract and someone like Bordeaux comes calling, it doesn't matter how much I love Sonnet, I can kind of understand why he went and it's worked out for him. So, but do I think the perfect move for him would be going to somewhere like Rangers or Celtic? Um, yeah, definitely. Because um, I think if you went into the Premiership, he'd probably struggle to get game time and he'd probably like have a stunted progression. And again, going back to what you were saying about Morelos, who would take him on? Would it be a West Ham, a Southampton, somebody like that? Like someone, you know, 13 downwards. And I, I think it would probably stunt his progression because you've got to go into the Premier League and you've got to start literally on fire immediately or you're a flop within five games that that's unfortunately the pressure of the Premier League I think there's a lot of pressure in the Scottish Premiership but I think Maggio will have a little bit more time to to blend in but I also think because of the qualities you know less than the Premier League he would also hit the ground running um, I think it would be a great move for him I think get him for like 10 to 12 million and sell Morales for I don't know 20 I love Morales I would never want to see him go but I think if you replace him with Maggio you're replacing, maybe not like for like in terms of quality, in terms of uh, the way that they play, but you've got someone that, much like Morales, similar sort of age, can grow and has that little bit of class about them. Um, moving away from Rangers and Celtic, one club that people have tipped really, really highly to do well, uh, which I find quite interesting because obviously he's kept his reputation, despite the fact it didn't really work at Sunderland, is Jack Ross and Hibbs. Uh, they started the season with a win. Do you think they can become the third team this year or do you think Motherwell have got more of a chance than people are letting on? I think Motherwell um, have kept a lot of their, their players, which is, is good for Stephen Robinson. Normally his <clears throat> a massive turnaround every year and, and he manages to, to pull the rabbit out of the hat. But he's kept a lot of the good players and he's added to it as well, crucially. But I tipped Hibbs personally to finish third. Um, I think Jack Ross is a good manager. You're right about his reputation remaining relatively intact, especially here in Scotland, which... I suppose a lot of managers don't <clears throat> have that luck. But I think he's added Alexander Gogic, who for me is one of the most underrated players in Scotland. I said it last year when he was at Hamilton. He's not going to get the ball, take it past four men and put it in the top corner. But what he is going to do is he's going to break break up play, he's going to win the ball and he's going to get it to those flair players, your Scott Allen, your Stevie Mallins. And, and for me, he's a player who will be really, really beneficial to Hibs. And I think... That's exactly what they need. They need that steeliness in midfield because you think back to the team they had under Neil Lennon with, with McGeoch, McGinn, um, and, and it was just it was a team that you knew whenever you come up against them would get the ball back quickly and they would, they would, they would press and they would attack you. And I think that's what Gogic will help them deliver. I think he'll break up play and get it to the players like Allen and Malin quicker so that they can then punish teams, especially up top. Doidge has been in decent enough form and, and Kevin Nisbet I think they've got a, 
a cracking player. I watched him at Capolo a few times last season and he, he had a massive uh, free kick into the top corner and it was just just unbelievable. And he, his all-round play impressed me that day as well. I think in terms of third, you're right, Motherwell, Hibs, Aberdeen are the team that are always discussed. I just, I just worry for Aberdeen and I feel sorry for Derek McInnes because I think he's he's definitely been a really good Aberdeen manager, but there seems to be a bit of apathy from the fans now wanting a change and that can that's never a good thing for club or or manager and I, I don't know how he manages that this season. Um, yeah. He lost Sam Cosgrove for four months, that's going to put him under more pressure. A lot of people thought they were quite flat against Rangers, albeit it's only the first game of the season, but Derek McInnes is someone I definitely think has a lot of pressure on him this season. I think if he doesn't finish third, he needs to at least win a cup or get to a final. And if he doesn't do that, I think there will be a change. Who comes in next? I don't know. They've got a link with Atlanta United, so they might, they might get someone left field, but pressure's on McInnes this season, that's for sure. Yeah, it certainly feels that. I agree with you with McInnes because McInnes almost came to Sunderland before Grayson did. He was our first choice and obviously he's really highly rated and Aberdeen were delighted they kept him. But it does feel a bit like, and the only way I can compare it is probably the way it felt when Peter Reid had been at Sunderland for like seven years. Everyone loved him and you were kind of scared of that change, but it felt a bit it felt a bit stale. But the, the thing I would say to that is obviously we then brought in Howard Wilkinson. So the person that you bring in, has to basically not be a Howard Wilkinson. No offence, Howard, but it was a disaster. Um, and it took us a little while to recover it. Well, a long time to recover from that, if we ever really have. But I think it'll be quite interesting, the, the battle for third, shall we say, uh, which is certainly more interesting than the battle for fourth in the Premier League, if I don't mind saying myself. I find that the most boring thing on the planet. Um, but I think Motherwell, I think the surprise people last season surprised me. And obviously I've spoken to... Um, Deck Gallagher on the show, Tony Watt, Keith Lasley. And there's something that's really family-orientated about Motherwell at the moment. And I think what's good about that, and I don't mean in the sense that they're all nice guys. They are nice, but obviously they've got a bit of bit of swagger about themselves as well. I think the content that they're putting out online is probably the best in the whole league. And there's something about where everyone seems to be pulling together. So for me, I think losing Peter Hartley was a big thing although it was their sort of choice. I find it quite weird that they, they let him go. I thought that was a bit of a weird one. But I think they've bought really, really well. Um, but on the flip side, like you say, you know, bringing in Gorgeous as well, because he's an animal, absolute animal in the middle uh, for Hamilton last season. But I think that'll be just as interesting almost for the battle for, for the top. But here's a question. There's a lot of people that's been saying, can Rangers stop Celtics 10 in a row? Bit of an outlandish prediction, maybe, but can anybody else apart from Rangers stop Celtics 10 in a row, or is that just unrealistic? I think that's unrealistic just because of the finances involved. I mean, for instance, Aberdeen have got Sam Cosgrove, who's one of the best strikers in the league. He gets injured, and then you're talking about young Bruce Anderson. Good young player, lots of potential. He's only really played bits and bobs at Aberdeen on non loan at Dunfermline. And then you've got, other than that, you've got Ryan Edmondson, who's Came in from Leeds again, very highly rated, but yeah. a young guy. So I think there's a lot of pressure on those sorts of players. I think Motherwell, you've got the likes of David Turnbull, as we've mentioned, and others. But I think I just think it'd be too much pressure or expectation for them to do it over the course of a season. Could one of them feasibly win a cup, though, um, this season and, and stop Celtic winning another treble? Why not? Because there's undoubted quality in these teams, as we've discussed, they just need to, to do it on the day. Yeah. I think that's the thing with 
a lot of the competitions recently is obviously Celtic have got all the way to the final and won them. I think Celtic probably need to be knocked out earlier on because I think when it comes to like if they get to a final, it just feels like Celtic have that experience to just win a final and you almost expect it. I think if you can get them in like the quarters and beat them and then just continue on, that's probably where you're going to win a cup competition this year because if you look at Celtic's team as well, it's not just the good young players they've got coming through, like the likes of Edward, like Scott Brown, McGregor's now experienced. You've got so many players in there that have experience of winning big games, winning big Champions League games, European games, cup finals. And that's difficult to replace. And you touched before on Aberdeen and the young lads they have. A lot of clubs have younger up-and-coming players, Turnbull at Motherwell and stuff like that. And as good as they are, they don't have that kind of experience. And it's almost wily experience, isn't it, with Scott Brown? So it's difficult to dominate Celtic, isn't it, really? that They could potentially go on this season and lose minimal games and win all competitions again, and no one would be really surprised, would they? I think that's, that's true. I think it's... For Rangers, it's... People make a big thing out of the Celtic versus Rangers matches, or Rangers versus Celtic, everyone you want to see it. And, and I understand that, but for me, Rangers need to make sure they're beating everyone else because we've seen it in the past teams. Celtic or Rangers have won the league and not won a single Old Firm match. So yeah. I think for Rangers and Gerrard, if I was him, deal with the Celtic games as they come, but make sure you are beating the, the, the best of the rest because if you do that, you're going to rack up a good number of points and you never know, Celtic could have a few slip-ups. I mean, Livingston were a team last season that, that troubled Celtic an awful lot. Um, Kilmarnock's a team that's troubled both Celtic and Rangers over the last few years on that plastic pitch down there as well. So if I was Gerard, I'd be trying to say to my players, win the best of the rest, and when the Celtic games come, we will deal with them and have a plan for those games. But if you don't beat the best of the rest, then, then forget a title challenge. And, and the same goes for Celtic as well, because if you drop too many points to to a Hibs, a Hamilton, a Livingston away from home, then you can kiss goodbye to a title because it's not an arrogance saying that. I think it's just history shows you in Scottish football, you need to beat everyone else as well as topping that up with a, an old firm win to win a title because if you draw too many games, then ultimately you're, you're, you're going to rue that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely bang on with that, 100% agree. Um, it's always early to make predictions, and I made a terrible prediction last week. Unfortunately, I put the show afterwards. I spoke to Ben Bloom and said Swansea would win the playoffs. Yeah, bad, bad prediction, because um, Brentford went on to beat them, I think, two nights later. Um, so my predictions are always terrible. Um, but I'm going to take, I'm going to take, the, I'm going to go for Rangers this season for the title. I'm going to say there's not going to be a ten in a row. But I do think Rangers can push it this year. I think they need a couple of signings. I think they need to keep holding Morelos or a place, as we said previously. But I do genuinely think after the past two years, the way they fell away, the, the fact that there is no winter break and the fact that they've shown they can do it continuously, I think they'll come very, very, very close or they'll win it. But I think if I was to ask you what your prediction is, I think you're gonna, you feel Celtic's going to win it. The reason I think Celtic will win the title, and I've said this, and people say oh, I get a bias towards Celtic, etc., and, and fair play if that's what they think, but I'll back it up with why I think they will. If Celtic go behind to Rangers come January time, I think the Celtic board will invest, whether it's a loan signing um, who comes up out of left field. You've seen it in years gone by, the likes of uh, Robbie Keane, Craig Bellamy. I think if Celtic get to January and they're trailing Rangers, I think this is where the way unbelievable pressure from the Celtic support to, to open those purse strings that the club 
never tired of telling people about. They've got X about in the bank, Y in the bank. So if Celtic are behind come January, there'll be so much pressure on the club that I wouldn't be surprised to see them have to go into the market and pay a big fee or, or pay big wages for a loan player. So ultimately, that in the end, I think that's why Celtic will win it. I think the starting eleven for me at the moment is stronger than Rangers. Um, I think Rangers have got decent strength in the, in the centre of the park. I think in Hadji and Kent, they've got two exciting players. But for me, those two guys need to be far more consistent if they're if there are to overtake Celtic and I'm not going to write them off because I think they've both got immense potential but I just think Celtic's Celtic's finances if they go behind will, will, will ensure they win the league because I don't think Peter Law and the Celtic board can afford to lose 10 in a row because it's been something the fans have spoken about for many years and also it's a, it's a big prediction I'm going to say it anyway. I think if Celtic won ten in a row, Peter Law will will, will will leave Celtic. I think that'll be I think that'll be be job done for Peter Law. I think he gets a lot of stick from people. Oh, he runs Scottish football. He does this and that. I don't know the ins and outs of that, of course. Mm. I just think if Celtic get ten in a row, and he's worked under Neil Strachan went through the Mowbray, Neil Lennon's first spell, and he's got to this stage, I wouldn't be surprised if he steps away and says, "Look, I, I've done all I can." Uh, running this club and wouldn't be surprised if he maybe goes down south. I know people will say, well, chief executive leaving, that doesn't really make a difference. But by all accounts, he is a, a very powerful man at Celtic and, and he's someone who, when it comes to the budget, can can sometimes hold the finances back or push the boat up a wee bit. So I think, as I say, that would be my prediction. I think Celtic will win the league and, and I wouldn't be surprised after that if if Peter Law basks in the glory of that and then, then, then leaves to maybe go down south. I think... When I said that Rangers will win the league, I very much realised when you explained all that there how much my my blue hat was on there, and I was totally, completely thinking with my heart rather than my head. <laughs> what I would say though, what I would say, I have to say though, it's not out of the question, and this is a thing. When people listen, oh, of course you're going to say this, you're going to say that. For me, mm-hmm. I, it's not out of the question. Rangers last season had the momentum after um, Christmas, and that's the first time I've seen a lot of Celtic fans genuinely anxious. Yeah. Because they won the game at Celtic Park and, uh, and they were convincing. They, they, it wasn't a smash and grab. They yeah. were convincing. Celtic on the day were playing wide to, to Bolly Bolligoli. Um, Rangers were happy to let him have possession because he wasn't really going to trouble them. And, and they didn't just defend well, but they attacked well and they looked dangerous and they could have scored a few more. So a lot of Celtic fans were worried at that stage last season. And with you're right, with, with no winter break, if Rangers can have that level of momentum. There's nothing stopping Rangers winning the league. The only reason I'm predicting Celtic will win is because, as I've said, I think strong, the first 11 is stronger. And I think they've got the finance to go again if they really have to. But would I be surprised if Rangers get within a few points or pip Celtic to the title? I wouldn't, based on what I watched last season for the first half of the season. But crucially, as I've said, with the best of the rest, they just, if they, they just cannot have upsets that they did the second half of last season because if they do, they, I wouldn't be surprised if it's eight or ten points again because you know yourself watching Scottish football and so do the listeners. If you're dropping points at Hamilton, Kilmarnock, Livingston consistently, you just won't win a title. Same with the Premier League. If Liverpool or a Man City, well look at Man City this year, if you're drawing lots of games or getting upsets by the likes of Norwich, you just don't win titles that way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right and I think that's the thing with with Celtic, I suppose. If they did go on a kind of Rangers esque run towards the end of um, 
last season they have got that sort of finance and they have got the ability to bring players in and they'll have pro- they've probably got a stronger and deeper squad than Rangers as well um, like we're talking about Morelos before Morelos is injured you've got Defoe uh, from other schools you've got Defoe and I loved I love Jermaine Defoe um, but he's he's not as young as he was and you still need a backup for him as well whereas you look at like Celtic across the whole park there's at least the second choice that they've got good players for almost every position whereas if we're honest Rangers have probably a good solid starting 11 if they go on another run will they invest in the same with Celtic when you don't really know I hope obviously as a, someone who as I said will openly admit I prefer the, the blue side of Glasgow um, but I, I think very much it is probably my heart overhead I think in reality Celtic probably are the stronger team but I hope I hope Rangers can push them but it's nice to have the the discussion that there might actually be something again, isn't it? I mean, it felt for so long it was just Celtic walking away with the title. At least Rangers being back in there, it's some sort of challenge. I just hope it's closer than it was because it's interesting even for the neutral fan, isn't it? But um, moving away from from Scottish football, I'm going to have to try and be as unbiased as I can here because I am a Sunderland fan. We all know this. Um, the Newcastle takeover. Obviously, that fell down this week. And there's been a lot of a lot of hoo-ha about it, uh, protests, uh, talks of all sorts of different things, stuff that has annoyed me, stuff that I understand. Um, and, you know, being from the Northeast, I know they are my club's rivals, but I understand the importance of a club uh, to the community of the Northeast. And I understand why Newcastle fans have been aggrieved for so long with Mike Ashley. And it does make a lot of sense. And I guess when you're offered that kind of wealth, and you've offered that kind of opportunity to break free from what feels like a it feels like a, a Malay a little bit, doesn't it? Like at, at Newcastle at the moment, it just feels a bit five out of ten, if you want to say that. Um, so I understand why they're frustrated and upset about it. But what do you make of it as someone who's completely neutral and, and away from the northeast? I'll be honest and say that I do feel sorry for them in the sense that there's clearly. A, a completely broken relationship between the fan base and Mike Ashley. So I feel sorry for them in that regard. In regard to the, the takeover, there's there's been so much said and written about it. There's certain elements that maybe are unsavoury, shall we say, towards the, the, the potential investors. Um, there's been there's been things said about potential piracy and alleged piracy um, that could have affected that. Who knows if it did affect it, but ultimately it's not happened um, anyway. But I think that's why I think there is a lot of sympathy from outsiders for Newcastle because of the Mike Ashley factor. In the end, though, no clubs get a divine right to get a rich backer and, and, a, and, a, and a white knight to, to march in and, and put down £200 million. Um, I think for Newcastle, they will be taken over at some stage. But Kieran Maguire, who I know very well from the Price of Football podcast, um, football finance expert, always, always says it. Mike Ashley will not sell the club unless he makes a profit. So yeah. until someone comes in with that 350 million quid or 320 or whatever it may be, until he makes a profit, he is not going to go anywhere because he's a businessman. He's a guy who people have went on record. Many people can say they don't like. His attitude, Rangers fans listen to this, are the same because it's all about making a buck for Mike Ashley. So until he makes a profit, he won't go anywhere. So... I think that's why people from the outside have sympathy with Newcastle fans. But as I say, at the same time, no club has got a divine right to, to, to demand a white knight comes in and bank rolls them to success. I know people will point to Man City and Chelsea. Those deals sort of, well, City's kind of in a way came out of the blue. 
Um, maybe I'm just saying that because social media wasn't as big at the time, and, and maybe now it would have been yeah. like this. Castle won prolonged. Abramovich had his choice of clubs and chose Chelsea, but they will be taking over, I think, Newcastle. Um, they are a club I've got a lot of time for. I've got a lot of time for Sunderland as well. As I say, I don't I don't have any particular Absolutely. dog in the fight in the North East, to be honest with you. I, I like when both clubs are in the Premier League um, because I really like the derby matches. I like how the fans have have lots of to and fro, and it's, 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 a, it's a genuine derby, which I like seeing. But I think they've got no divine right to be taken over. And, and also in the Sunderland aspect as well, I think it'd be nice to see both clubs be taken over from an outsider coming in because I would like to see them both back in the Premier League. Maybe if you're a Sunderland fan like yourself, you might say, no, 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 let us be taken over and get back there and then we'll relegate that lot. But <laughs> I think... Um, We've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll definitely be interesting regardless, but yeah. I think they'll have to be patient because he's shown in many years he's in no rush to sell. He might make out that he hates being the owner of Newcastle, etc., but he's got Sports Direct plastered all over that ground, so there's there's no way he's rushing out anytime soon because if he was desperate to get out as he says he is, he would sell for a loss, but as Kieran Maguire says, he wants a profit, so until someone stumps up the cash, I'm afraid they're going to be stuck with him. I think with, with Newcastle as well, and it is all relative, you know what I mean, you're only, every football fan, their football club is the most important thing, and I understand certain clubs being frustrated at certain things coming out from Newcastle fans about how the club has died. I mean, imagine listening to that as a Berry fan. Listening to that as a Sunderland fan is frustrating because obviously our ownership is, uh, it's, it's not great at the moment, I think is, is what I would say is the best way and, and the most simplest way for me to put it. But um, it is all relative. You know, I mean, Newcastle see themselves as an ambitious club, a huge club, and, and they see themselves as potentially one of the top six. Um, or, or they could be one of the top six. But a lot of it has come out about how they want to just get rid of Mike Ashley. Um, and I might be asking something controversial here, but do you think that's just a kind of smoke screen at the moment that, oh, they just wanted rid of Mike Ashley, Mike Ashley that's all that they wanted? Or is it the reality is they want it to be really, 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 really rich? I think there's two things. I think fans are used to playing FIFA, football manager, whatever it may yeah. be press the club benefactor button and spend, bring in Bale, Griezmann, whoever. So I think fans naturally get carried away with that. I think fans of any club, whether it's a a, a, a League Two Scottish club or a, a Premier League club, I think as soon as you hear takeover and money, the, the pound signs flash in your eyes and you think, right, who are we going to get? What are we going to do? So I think there's a mix of that. Crucially though, again, Newcastle fans won't like to hear this, but Mike Ashley's not the best club owner. But be careful what you wish for in many ways because Keir Maguire, again, I reference him. Sorry for repeating that, but he's mentioned Charlton a lot recently. Charlton Athletic had um, had a, the Sassily, I think his name was. He was not well liked by the fans. There was protests regularly. It was a basket case in many ways. The club was sold. And then we sold again rather quickly after that. And there's talks they could actually liquidate now. So it was bad under Roland by all accounts of Charlton fans, but it's even worse now. So I think Newcastle fans just need to be careful. I think that the money that this group were going to potentially invest, of course, puts pound size in your eyes. But I think they have to be careful because 
Mike Ashley, obviously he's been relegated to the club a couple of times, but he's when they got down to the championship the last time, he did invest to get them back. Um, I'm not saying I'd want to be on my club. I, I, I wouldn't, if I'm genuinely honest, but I think there has to be a bit of, of, of give and take where it's it's pretty rubbish and the, the relationship, as I said, is, is destroyed. But crucially, just, just make sure it's the right person coming in because you don't want... Mike Ashley make a quick buck leave and then you're stuck with a Portsmouth situation where you could go from owner to owner and then tumble down divisions. It might not be fun, might not be exciting. Um, and I get that a lot of their generation of fans have seen the 96-97 entertainers team who grown up in a, a mixed city of South Shields and seeing Sunderland and Newcastle, Sunderland struggling in what would have been nationwide, uh, sorry, the Ensley League Division 1 and Newcastle almost winning the league. I understand why a lot of kids who maybe didn't have or weren't born in Sunderland or Newcastle went towards Newcastle and why they feel now that their club's suffering. But in reality, it, it's, and again, it is all relative, but in comparison to your Berries, your Charlton's, Sunderland's, loads of different clubs, you look at it and you think, you're so lucky to be just existing and competing in the richest league in the world and the most competitive league in the world and the most televised league in the world and being able to spend 16 to 20 million on a player like, if we spend a million on a player, it's going to be amazing. Like this year and two years ago, three years ago, we were in the Premier League. Um, one thing I found quite interesting, and I've very much vocalised what I think on Twitter about this. Um, I've seen a lot of the time Newcastle fans speaking about the the moral side of things with, with Mike Ashley. And I get it, the zero-hour contracts and all that kind of stuff. I think I don't have to go over the the bad things that Mike Ashley does outside of outside of football. But then... They seem to welcome questionable owners. One thing I wanted to discuss on the pod was the fact that, and I'm, I can't go too in-depth with it, but obviously you've got a situation where they, the Saudi owners have links to a lot of things that are unsavory, shall we say. Um, and a lot of that was sort of glossed over, whereas the, the moral side of Mike Ashley hasn't been. Did you find that quite interesting? You know, If you were not a Newcastle fan, just a fan of you know, whatever club, and that kind of ownership came in place. I'm not sure I would feel overly comfortable with it from a human rights perspective. What do you think? Can you separate it's a, it? It's a hard, I think in reality, and it's terrible to say this, I think for me, I wouldn't want to see my club associated with um, uh, certain unsavory things that, that certain people can get up to or are alleged to get up to. But I think it's, it's terrible to say this, but... For instance, I'm from Greedock, so if Greenock Morton were to be taken over tomorrow by a billionaire with a questionable background, would the fans complain? I'll be honest with you, I don't think they would. I mm -hmm. think they would turn a blind eye, see what was on the park and support it. And sadly for football, um, that's we're sort of at the mercy of, of, of people who want to invest in, whether that's Newcastle, Sunderland, whether that's a team in the National League or, or whoever it may be, I think. A lot of fans, are in, it's between, you're between a rock and a hard place in the sense that if, if, for instance, if you support, try to think of a random team. If you support Bolton, right, and you're a team that's been through the mill now in League Two, and a rich oligarch comes in and questionable background, but says we'll get you back to the Premier League and get you in the top four, we're going to put this, this, and this in. Very hard after everything you've been through to say, nah, we're just going to stay here. So I, I do understand why fans turn a blind eye. Ideally, would you want certain people involved in football? No. But there is a very murky world of football, unfortunately, and I'm sure yeah. you're aware, having yeah, spoken absolutely. to various people within the game, off-air especially, um, and on-air, that 
at times there's, there's certain things that go on in football that aren't the most pleasant. And I mean, it's certainly not an, an, an attack on Newcastle fans if it came across a winner at all, because I'm a Sunderland fan and I remember the Paolo Di Canio situation. Um, we had some fans that just completely washed their hands of it. I think we had the Durham Miners, which is obviously very, very close to the club and very, very important to the club. They, they, they There's a flag up that they have in the stadium. And when Di Canio took over because of his political beliefs, which to some people found it unsavoury, they wanted that that back because it, it, they felt it didn't represent the club. But I think on the whole, I, I do agree. I think most football fans, I don't want to say they don't care, but I echo what you what you said. I think a lot of football fans would see the football club as the football club. And I think the way the world works, sometimes it, it does get separated. Um, maybe it shouldn't. and Well, it shouldn't. In, in truth, it really shouldn't. But it does sometimes happen. There's many clubs that have been taken over uh, by people with questionable backgrounds, managers that have been appointed with questionable backgrounds. But I think when it comes to football, a lot of the time you, you don't see these people. All you see is your football club. Um, and it's hard to kind of rule your your heart sometimes over your head, as, as seen by me earlier in the earlier in the show with Rangers. Um, but I think ultimately Newcastle are going to be okay with or without this takeover. It might be boring, but they're going to be okay. I think they've got nothing much to worry about, right? I think you're right in the sense that I don't think they've got too much to worry about in the sense that they've got a couple of players like Saint Maxime who who looks very exciting. Terrific um, player, yeah. The, the less said about Joe Linton, the better, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and, and again, I, I know I have a go at Newcastle, but oh, if he cost, I mean, we're talking about Morelos and Edward costing 40 50, 15 million quid. If that guy's worth 40 million quid, then I actually think I could go for 10 million in the modern game. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But um, good luck to him. Hopefully, improves his form. But he's the sort of guy, I think, that even if he turned up at your club in the Championship, but even in the SPL or Scottish Premiership, sorry, that you'd maybe be saying, out. <laughs> yeah, there's something that's not quite right. I mean, one player that personality-wise, I love Josie Altador, but he was—I mean, he was six million. It's a vast difference, but I think from from minute dot, you could sort of see that it wasn't going to work for him. And I think it's no surprise that he's gone back to play in the MLS and done really, really well, but it didn't really work here at all. And there's there's countless examples of that, and I think sometimes you can just see it, and it's unfortunate for the person. But yeah, you're totally right. But you know, um, Saint Maximan. Yeah, kills me to say, but he, he looks terrific, doesn't he? he? Looks like he's possibly destined for a European club higher up the pyramid. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Arsenal maybe take a punt on him, give it a year if he continues at the level that he's at. Um, yeah, I think so. Another big talking point I was going to say about the, the Premier League, but it's not Premier League, it's Championship technically now. Eddie Howe's left. Uh, so just to finish on that, I think we spoke about Bournemouth last week uh, with, with Ben. And we discussed the apparent legal challenge they were going to have about uh, the Villa goal or the Sheffield United goal, sorry, which seems to have gone quite quiet and looks like that's not going to be a thing. Maybe it was just something to kind of sell some papers potentially. But Eddie Howe leaving Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth fans seem to love him. It didn't really surprise me too much. But do you think that's Bournemouth potentially having a bit of a tough task to bring somebody in that's going to be as popular and get them back up at the first time of asking? By all accounts, Jason Tindall, Eddie Howe's assistant, is going to get the job. Um, he's never been a manager before, but he clearly knows the club. So it could be wise in the sense that the players who are left behind after the Premier League uh, run have got someone who they trust and they believe in. Whether he can be the same guy without Eddie alongside him, I, I don't know. But good luck to him. In terms of Eddie Howe, there's two ways to look at Eddie Howe. I'll be honest with you, I like Eddie Howe, I think he plays football the right way, but there are two ways to look at him. 
you look at them as the guy when in Bournemouth were in League Two in minus 17 points, heading for the abyss of the conference because would they have bounced back? Who knows? And he kept them up and then gradually built on that, albeit he went to Burnley and then came back, got them to the Premier League. But there is the other side, Kevin Day, Crystal Palace fan, uh, comedian, not shy in saying it. Bournemouth are a small club and people talk about it being a fairy tale, but it's in Kevin's words, they have a billionaire owner, they've invested year on year, they broke financial fair play, or were alleged of breaking financial fair play when they were in the Championship to get to the Premier League. They've spent a fortune in the Premier League and they've ultimately ended up relegated. Where's the fairy tale in that? So <laughs> I, can, I can see both sides. I think it was definitely a fairy tale at the start when he kept him up minus 17 points. And you could argue that that achievement merited him in years to come to get the break of a, a rich new owner who was going to back him. But ultimately, I think it was a time where he was linked with the Everton job. No, yeah, I don't I think it was. That. It wasn't this time with Ancelotti. It was a time before, trying to think who came in instead. Was it before Allardyce Silver. and Koeman came in? Silva came in, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. Before, so Allardyce says he's going. And even before Aldice came in, there was lots of talk, right? Eddie Howe, he's known as a Bournemouth, uh, sorry, an Everton fan, boyhood Everton fan. That's where he'll go. This is a big step. And he didn't go and there was nothing much more of it. I always, I, if I ever get a chance to speak to him, I'm sure he wouldn't want to go into it. But I'd love to say, with hindsight, do you look back when you were linked with that Everton job and regret not pushing for it? Because I think if he, if he came out and said, Everton, boyhood club, would be an honour to manage Everton, I'm happy here for now. I think Everton may have came and got him, but ultimately he's left He's left it too late. Bournemouth are down. He's well-liked in the media, so that will help him when it comes mm. to getting a new club. He's linked stronger with Crystal Palace. If he goes there, I cannot wait to phone Kevin and say, right, we need to do a show because I want to know what you think. Be an interesting but one. I think you will definitely get another Premier League job. Um, but... As I say, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on, and especially if Tyndall takes that Bournemouth job, how he gets on without him, because I think they've been everywhere together, so it'll be a fresh start for him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a, a good six months to even maybe a year out to, to let the dust settle and maybe do a bit of punditry work to sort of stay in the game and maybe showcase and show off some of his knowledge. Um, but it's definitely going to be interesting for him and Bournemouth. I think if they don't bounce back this year, they won't. They, they'll be in the championship for quite a few years because when the parachute payments stop and the financial fair play ramifications are there again, can they afford to, to invest as heavily and hope to have a similar fate when you get up and you can avoid the punishment? I don't know. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one for Bournemouth long term. Perfect. Callum, great having you on, mate. Um, for people who haven't heard of your podcast, which is probably people who lived on the moon because, let's be honest, it's boomed quite a bit. Um, where can we find you? Where can you be followed and where can you be listened to? Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Graeme. So basically, um, you can follow me on Twitter, at FootballCFB. And if you're on your favourite podcast app, whatever that may be, if you just search FootballCFB, unique football content, the shows will be there. Um, there's a variety of shows. So um, likes of Barry Ferguson's been on the show. Um, John Hartson, Matt Letissi, Jeff Sterling. But there's also been a few guys um, who've played maybe lower league football or our managers from, from the lower leagues, like Steve Evans, Anthony Johnson at Chester, who's obviously on the Salford documentary. So I try and keep it varied. So please give it a listen if you enjoy a football podcast. And, and I hope it's for you. But Graham, thanks for your time. And keep up the great work that you're doing. Because as I say, during lockdown, those interviews, especially with the Scottish element, were the ones that really got me into what you do. 
and then listening to the likes of Big Sam and others since then. Thomas Sorensen was another one coming to my mind that I really enjoyed. So keep up the great work and, and please stay in touch because coming on a show that yours is, is a pleasure for me and anytime I can help you, you, you know just where I am. And same to you as well, mate. I've got to say, it feels like it's the first time we've officially spoke, but it feels like because I listened to that many of your pods during the lockdown and up until recently, I felt like I've, I've known you a lot longer than an hour. Um, but I can highly recommend it. There's a great show with, obviously, Dave Jones, which some of fans listening in will be really interested in, um, especially with the way the club's going at the moment. He's obviously involved in that, and it's a great show as well. But honestly, Callum, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season with the podcast. Good luck with Henrik. I have to say that that's uh, not jealous at all in any way, shape or form. 